you have your Bible with you, let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. A.W. Tozier once wrote this. He said, only in America can we develop instant potatoes, instant TV dinners, and instant coffee. Unfortunately, we have now given the world instant Christianity, whereby we believe that we can satisfy the demands of Christ in a once-in-a-lifetime walk down the aisle of a church or pray a little 20-second prayer of surrender and think that we have fulfilled the calling of Jesus. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that he was right. We have developed a culture in the church today that has led us to believe that we can be Christians without being disciples, followers of Jesus. And yet you need to understand that Jesus never told us to walk down an aisle. Jesus never told us to pray a certain prayer. Jesus said, come, follow me, be my disciple. For the last five weeks, we've been in a series that we've called Disciples, what it means to follow Jesus. And in week one, we looked at the Great Commission, and we discovered that Jesus called us to be disciples who make disciples. Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, every single word in that commission, that command is important. Jesus told us to go. He told us to make disciples. He told us to baptize them. He told us to teach them to obey. But unfortunately today, we have taken what Jesus said and we've cheapened it. You see, the problem is we have cheapened what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We have come to believe that because Jesus paid it all, there is no cost to follow Jesus as a disciple. We have embraced this idea that because our salvation is a gift, it doesn't cost us anything. We don't have to give up anything. And yet Jesus never said that. The truth of the matter is, Jesus made it clear that when we choose him, we lay down everything. That's why we have said that a disciple is someone who is willing to give up everything, do anything, and go anywhere for the sake of the gospel. That's what the first disciples did when they answered Jesus' call. They left everything to follow Jesus. They left their nets, their livelihood. They left the comfort of their families. They left everything to follow Jesus. And that's why the rich young ruler walked away because Jesus challenged him to give it all up and come follow him. And yet he was not willing to do that. Now Jesus may not tell you to sell everything. He may not tell you to move to a foreign country. 
He may not call you into vocational ministry, but you must be willing to do anything and everything that he tells you to do because Jesus made it clear that many have been deceived into believing that they're going to go to heaven, that they are a part of the kingdom of God, when in reality, they aren't. At, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a clear warning to all his would-be followers. He said, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and then he went on and he said this, he said, many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do many other wonderful works? And Jesus said, I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Now there are a lot of people that, that don't like us to bring up those kind of verses. They say that when you bring up verses like that, it causes people to question their salvation, to doubt whether their faith is real. But I want you to understand that I don't want to stand before God one day believing that I'm going to heaven and be turned away because I don't really know him. That's why the apostle Paul urged us to examine ourselves. He told us to test our faith to see if it's real, to see if it's genuine. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, I believe foundationally there are three things to becoming a disciple. First of all, a disciple has repented of their sins. Pastor Matt did a great job unpacking this truth to us two weeks ago. But I want to remind you of what Jesus said. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will perish. In other words, Jesus was saying that there is no salvation apart from repentance you can't be saved if you haven't repented when Jesus began his earthly ministry Jesus said repent and believe the good news and understand repentance is more than than simply recognizing our sin and it's more than than even having remorse for our sin repentance is is coming to the place where we realize what sin is we realize what sin has done to us, and we realize what sin did to Jesus. And because of that, we become so broken over our sin that we're willing to turn from our sin. Now, that doesn't mean that we will never sin again. We probably will. We may fall flat on our face, but because our mind has been changed toward sin, we will be broken anew and we will long to be set free from the power of sin. So I ask you, have you repented of your sin? Have you come to understand what sin is, what sin does to you, and what sin did to Jesus? It nailed Jesus to the cross. So a disciple has repented of their sin but second a disciple has saving faith that's what we talked about last week but I want to remind you that saving faith is is more than a verbal confession something that you do with your mouth saving faith is more than an emotional 
feeling or expression. It's not just something that you feel. And, and faith is more than an intellectual belief, something you believe in your head. Saving faith, biblical faith, is an absolute trust, a complete dependence upon Jesus Christ. And saving faith always leads us to doing. That's why James said, faith without works, faith without doing is dead. If my faith is real, it will always cause me to act, to do something with my faith. But today, I want us to focus on what I believe is the final foundational act that leads us to becoming disciples of Jesus. We must repent of our sin. We must place our faith in Jesus. But then finally, a disciple has confessed Jesus as Lord. Now, it seems that many people are confused when it comes to this. I've heard a lot of people say things like this. Well, I accepted Jesus as my Savior when, and then they give a time, they give a date. I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was six years old, when I was 10 years old, when I was 13 years old. But then I surrendered to Jesus as my Lord when, and, and then they tell when that is. But the Bible nowhere says that that's even a possibility. You see, the Bible doesn't say that we can separate Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. We, we can't accept pieces of Jesus that we like and reject pieces of Jesus that we don't. That's not how it works. You see, the Bible makes it clear that if Jesus is not our Lord, Jesus is not our Savior. Now, I came to faith in Christ when I was a young boy. I, I was eight or nine years old. And there was a lot I did not know about Jesus. And there was a lot I did not know about me. But when I came to Jesus, I gave everything I knew of myself to everything I knew of Jesus. I didn't understand everything about Jesus. I didn't know all that it would cost, all that it would take to follow Jesus as I grew in his grace and knowledge. I didn't understand some of the weaknesses in my life, some of, some of the things that I would struggle with as I got older. I didn't understand all of those things. But as an eight or nine-year-old boy, I gave every part of my life as I understood it to every part of Jesus that I understood. And I want you to understand that regardless of whether you come to faith when you were 8 or 18 or 88, you are giving all that you know of yourself to all that you know of Jesus. And that takes us to the passage I want to read this morning in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. Notice what it says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you were saved. And then in verse 13 it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, the Apostle Paul is making clear in this passage that confessing Jesus as Lord is necessary to salvation. Now, notice how Paul begins. We must confess. 
That word confess means to acknowledge. It means to agree with. And so it carries the idea of both testifying for and identifying with. You see, to confess Jesus means that I am in agreement with all that the scriptures say about Jesus. And it also means that I am willing to identify publicly with him. Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 10, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. And whosoever therefore shall deny me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Jesus made it clear, if we confess him, he will confess us. If we deny him, he will deny us. You see, every one of us, we will either accept Jesus or we will reject Jesus. We will confess him or we will deny him. There is no middle ground. And notice how Paul says we're to confess. We're to confess with our mouth. Now let me remind you that this letter was written to the believers in Rome. And Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire. And every year in the Roman Empire, the residents of the empire were asked to go into the public square of the city in which they lived, and they were asked to take a pinch of incense and burn it, and then make a statement. Caesar Curios, Caesar is Lord. Every resident of the empire was expected to do that. And yet, Paul is writing to the believers who live in Rome, the capital of the empire, and he said, you can't do that. Either Caesar is Lord, or Jesus is Lord. You can't have it both ways. Jesus said it like this. He said, no one can serve two masters. You have to determine who your master is going to be. And and I'm afraid that there are many of us today who call ourselves Christ followers who are still struggling with this. Now, I want you to follow along with me. Because what I'm about to say is going to offend you, regardless of who you are. And so when I say the first thing, don't tune me out and miss the second thing. Because that may offend you as well. All right? I'm afraid that here in America, there are many of us who are more committed to a donkey or an elephant than we are to the lion who is the lamb of Judah. And it's evident by the way we live. You say, Rocky, what do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. Some of you in this room are Democrats. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know how you can be a Democrat and be a follower of Jesus. Their party platform is clear. Abortion on demand. Abortion is the murder of babies. And so if you vote for a Democrat, you're voting for the murder of babies. If you're voting for a Democrat, you are supporting a radical transgender movement that is in opposition to what the Bible says about gender. And so if you're a Democrat, I'm sorry, but there it is. But there are others of you who are Republicans. And you are so mesmerized. You're so in love with Donald Trump. 
that you don't realize how big of a jerk he is. Donald Trump loves Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is a narcissist. And Donald Trump says foolish, crazy things. And yet some of you are so in love with Donald Trump that you're unwilling to call him out for the crazy, stupid things that he does. And that's going to offend some of you. But I want you to know that if that offends you, then what it means is you are more committed to him than you are to Jesus Christ. And you need to look at your life and you need to get it in order. Because to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be loyal to Jesus and no one and nothing else. Your loyalty to Jesus trumps everything else. And notice, you can't keep this secret. You can't keep it silent. The Bible says we have to confess him publicly with our mouth. Now, what is it that we confess? We confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is called Lord 747 times in the New Testament. Did you hear that? Jesus is called Lord more than he is called any other name or title in the New Testament. What does that mean? I mean, when it, the Bible says that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? Well, first of all, to confess Jesus is Lord is to say that he is God. In the Old Testament, God is called Lord 6,500 times. Did you hear that? God is called Lord 6,500 times. The Lord is my shepherd. He is the Lord of peace. He is the Lord most high. He is the Lord of heaven's armies. He is the Lord that heals. He is the Lord that sanctifies. He is the Lord our righteousness. He is the Lord over all. And in the New Testament, Jesus is called Lord because those who came to know him knew that this Jesus was much more than just a man. He wasn't just a man. He was God in the flesh. That's why Thomas, when he saw him for the first time after the resurrection, said in John 20, 28, my Lord and my God. When he saw Jesus and realized that Jesus had came out of that tomb, he said, you are my Lord and you are my God. Jesus told his disciples, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus told the Pharisees that he was the great I am, the name that God gave himself when he revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. John begins his gospel by calling Jesus the Word, and then he tells us that the Word was God. The Apostle Paul says Christ is the image of the invisible God. And then he tells us that all the fullness of God dwells in Christ in bodily form. The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus expresses the very character, the very nature of God. Now listen, understand, when you were first convicted of your sin and you came to faith in Christ, you may not have understood that Jesus was God. But you were given everything you knew of yourself to everything you knew of God. But as you grow in his grace and in his knowledge, you begin to fall more in love with him and you become aware that this isn't just some man who God set aside to defeat sin and death on our behalf. This Jesus 
is God in the flesh, the Son of God, the God Most High. And so when we say that Jesus is Lord, we're saying that Jesus is God. But second, to confess Jesus is Lord is to say that he is sovereign. In other words, he is in control. When Jesus was here on earth, he proved this by what he did. He had complete control over everything. He was in control over sickness. He healed the sick. He was in control over demons. He would cast out demons with a word. He was in control of death. He could raise the dead. He was in control of nature. At a single word, the storms would cease. Jesus was in control. And he is still in control. When Jesus was about to send to heaven, it says in Matthew 28 that Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority, sovereignty, control in heaven and on earth. And that means if Jesus has all authority, he has the power to meet you where you are. And he has the power to walk with you whatever you are going through. And if he is in control, if he has all authority, what that means is nothing takes him by surprise. Do you think Jesus was caught off guard last Saturday when Hamas invaded Israel and butchered over a thousand people, including babies and women and elderly people? No, he wasn't caught off guard. Jesus wasn't in heaven on the throne going, whoa, wait a minute, what just happened? He knew what was going to happen. Why? Because he is sovereign. He is in control no matter what happens. And he is using it all for his good and for our good, regardless of how bad it looks. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen in Israel. If, if what they say is going to happen happens next, what that means is Israel is going to do a ground attack into Gaza and they are going to weed out Hamas, a terrorist organization. And anybody who has any sanity and any decency would agree with that. I think we would all agree that all terrorist organizations need to be removed from the face of the earth. So that's what they've said they will do. But when they do that, there is a strong possibility that another terrorist organization, Hezbollah, is going to attack Israel from the north. Hezbollah says they have over one million soldiers in Lebanon and in Syria. They are much better armed than Hamas. And if Hezbollah enters into a ground attack of Israel, it's quite possible that Iran, who is backing Hezbollah and Hamas, will enter into this ground attack with them. If that happens then it's quite possible that World War III will start. And I'm not trying to frighten you or scare you. I'm just telling you the fact. I mean, it's quite possible that we could be on the verge of World War III. And if World War III starts, it will be the most gruesome, the most deadly war that has ever hit the face of the earth. And what we read about in Revelation 6 with the wars and the famines and the pestilence could be upon us. We could quite possibly see not millions, but billions of people die in 
this through war and disease and famine and starvation. But what you need to understand is if that happens, God is still on his throne. He's still in control. He's already even written about it. He's told us what's going to happen. And all of that is preparing for his return. When he sets up his kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness and holiness that will never fail, that will last forever, and we will be in his presence forever and ever on a newly created heaven and earth. And I don't know about you, I kind of look forward to that day. And though for us to get there, some horrible things will have to take place, I'm anxious for the Lord's return. And so listen, regardless of what comes our way, God is on his throne and he is moving the pieces on the chessboard to accomplish his perfect plan. Why? Because he is sovereign. He's in control. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying Jesus is God. When we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying he is sovereign. He's in control. But finally, and I believe this is the really the most important, the most practical to us, to confess Jesus as Lord is to say that he is our master. You see, this is where the rubber hits the road. When Peter was preaching at Pentecost, he said, let everyone in Israel know that God has made this Jesus, you crucified both Lord and Christ. Peter was saying that Jesus is not just Christ, He's not just Messiah. He's not just Savior. He is Lord. That word Lord, kurios, in biblical days, simply meant master. It was the word that a servant, a slave, would call their master. And what you need to understand is that a slave had no rights. The slave had one task, and that was to do the will of their master. And you need to understand the same is true with those who call on the name of Jesus today. We have no right. We've given up our rights as followers of Jesus. We have been bought with a price. We belong to Jesus Christ. We relinquish control. It's no longer about our will. It's about his will. It's no longer about our desires. It's about his desires. It's no longer about our wants, but his wants. It's no longer about our comfort. It's about his will. And that's why Jesus said in Luke 6, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Because if I'm your Lord, I'm your master, you're obligated to do whatever I tell you to do. If Jesus is our Lord, his will is the most important thing to us today. Paul, Peter, James, Jude, at the beginning of their letters, they all called themselves slaves of Christ. They had given everything up to follow Jesus. Their lives were at his disposal. He could do with them whatever he wanted. He could ask of them whatever he desired. And the same should be true of us today. The Bible says that one day 
every knee will bow. One day, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That means there is coming a day in the future when every single knee will bow before the throne of God. And every single tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. Everyone who has ever lived will bow before Jesus. Everyone who has ever lived will declare Jesus is Lord. The only question is, will you bow to Jesus as your Lord here on this earth where he can also be your Savior? Or will you simply bow to Jesus as Lord at the judgment when it's too late? I don't know where you're at this morning. But I'm afraid we've so cheapened God's word that we've led people to believe that they can be saved, they can be disciples without repenting, turning from sin. You can't. We've led people to believe that faith is just some intellectual knowledge about who Jesus is. When it's not, it's a complete trust and a total dependence upon Jesus with your life. And we've led people to believe that we can go to heaven without confessing, surrendering to Jesus as our Lord. And we can't. And so I ask you, is Jesus your Lord? Because if he's not, he's not your Savior. And I beg you, I plead with you this morning to surrender your life to Jesus. Raise the white flag. Give up. Give it all to Jesus. And I promise you, I promise you that what you'll discover is life as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ is the life that you were created for. It's the life that will bring you happiness. It's the life that will bring you peace. Because you'll discover that you're not only a servant, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're his child. You're his heir, destined for all the good things he has in store for you for all eternity. Don't miss it. Don't leave it on the table. Don't let pride, arrogance, whatever else keep you, some secret sin keep you from surrendering it all to Jesus. Father God, this is your time. And I simply ask this morning that you'll have your way in each and every one of our lives. Father God, my greatest fear, my greatest fear is that, Lord, someone in this room walk out of this room today and step into eternity not knowing you. Don't let that happen. Oh, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, convict of sin, our lack of righteousness, and the judgment that's to come. Lord, convict 
that we need to surrender. Lord, I pray today that that will happen. I pray this in Jesus' name.